Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Let's go to the Word this morning. We're in Philippians chapter 2. Last week, I began talking about gospel maturity, and I preached the first half of my sermon last week. Today, I'm going to preach the second half of it. So we're in gospel maturity part 1B. <laughs> and I, I'm hoping this, this message doesn't get broken down too many more times because I'm running out of Sundays to get it in before the end of the year if it does. But today, I want to talk about God works. Last week, we talked about obedience to Jesus. This week, I want to talk about God works. I started last week by talking about the time of growing up. You know, I mentioned, uh, hey, have you ever said it's time for you to grow up? Or maybe, like me, you've had someone say that to you a time or two. And I asked the question, what time is that when we grow up? It's the time when... Our actions of life, if you will, measure up to our age and stage of life. And of course, there's many different ways to measure this out and uh, uh, to see it transpire. But, but most importantly is that we all acknowledge our need for maturity, specifically as Christians. And not only our need for it, but our desire to grow in Christ and to become more like Jesus. And so this is what we are looking at in this message And I want us to go and I want us to read Philippians 2. I'm going to read verse 12 and 13 together uh, so that we can see the full context of what we're talking about. Let's read these verses together before before we continue. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. Christians mature in Jesus' likeness as they empty self to submit to God's work that transforms our whole being. As we empty self to submit to God's work that transforms our whole being. You know, I I hit a pause in last week's message, and I need to do this again today just to remind us about the theme of this entire series being joy and how for a number of weeks we've not really mentioned joy explicitly, but in all of these messages we've been moving towards joy. You see, the process of maturity reminds us that joy is neither the frills nor the fills that we often reduce our Christianity to or our knowing God to, but rather true joy is the fruit of a faithful walk with Jesus. So it's not the frills, it's not the fills, it is the fruit of our walk with Jesus. Joy is God's staying power in our life because it is the reality of his stayed presence in our life. And as we talked about, Christian maturity is the joy factory of the Christian's faith. The very difference between experiencing a joy deficiency and a joy abundance. And so we are laboring in this message 
to motivate a zeal to pursue Christ and not satisfy for a lesser joy. And as we're looking at it, we began last week by looking at the first two of three distinctives. I'm going to remind us of those quickly just for the sake of cohesiveness. The first distinctive we looked at last week was that Christian maturity is determined by obedience to Jesus. That's what Paul says in verse 12. He says, as you have always obeyed, as you have always obeyed. And we talked about two gaps in understanding our obedience to Jesus that help us measure it. The first one is our obedience gap. And the obedience gap is the difference between what we know and how we obey or what we do. And the question that helps us identify this is, what have you done with what you know? What have you done with what you know about Jesus? The second gap is the response gap. It's the time between when you learn God's truth, God's command, what God is leading you, commanding you, calling you to do, and when you obey it. So in the response gap, it's about how quickly do you trust to obey. Now, I don't want to confer that this is some kind of um, automatic twitch or something, that it always happens immediately and automatically. You have to be careful that you don't impose upon our spiritual maturity the same parameters of time that we often operate from in this world because sometimes the Spirit of God leads us what we might consider slowly because of all that He's dealing with in the midst of that. And so when we talk about the response gap, it's about how quickly do you respond to trust and obey in accordance to the unction and the leading of the Holy Spirit. These two gaps remind us of these realities, that to know and not obey is always a revolutionary act of rebellion against King Jesus, always. And to, uh, uh, to delay our obedience is always an act of disobedience. And so a maturing Christian lives to close the gaps, lives to close the gaps and be fully aligned with God's word by obedience. Now, looking at the first distinctive, we confront the lie that is often perpetuated that in some way Christian maturity is about perfected performance. It's not about perfected performance. And so we said it's never about a point of arrival. Hey, we're here. Good. What do we do now? It's about a process. It's about a process. And so the second distinctive was that Christian maturity is a learned process of trusting Jesus. It's a learned process. And maturity in the Christian life is a continual process throughout this life on this earth of becoming like Jesus because obedience must be learned, must be learned. And we looked at Hebrews that tells us that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, here's what we said. I want you to be careful to hear me in this. This doesn't mean that Jesus had to learn not to sin. He was without sin absolutely perfectly. We know that. That's not even on the table for question or speculation. But the process, friends, is still one of learning. That even Jesus himself, who was tempted and said no, because yet he was without sin in every way. That's what Hebrews tells us. There was a process there, and that's the same process that you and I are in. The difference is that we have sinned, we have a sinful nature. And so the process, though, is similar. It's not identical. And our learning is really twofold in this learned process. It's a matter of learning the lessons. You know, you, you've, you've learned the lessons, right? 
Oh, let them do it. They won't do it second time, right? I mean, those kinds of lessons in life, right? And the things that we learn through that. But the second part of the process is not only learning lessons, but learning to identify the process through which God matures us. And this is where it is of greatest value for us. Learning the process. This learned process that matures, it always produces a greater worship. That's why he said, At the end of verse 12, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a, that phrase is a reference to a heart that is filling with an awe and a worship and a love for God. So this whole process of becoming like Jesus is one that, that stirs and produces greater worship and love for God within us. And so we said the lessons learned in the process spur our growth. But when we learn to discern the process, the Lord becomes our focus in order to catalyze his transformation within us. And so the Christian who wants to know joy must follow the master's path of a learned process of obedience Now, those are the first two distinctives, and today we're going to look at the third distinctive. But I need to build a bridge from last week to this week. It's a bridge of application, so I'm going to start the the meat of this message with an application. You typically do an explanation from the Scripture before you get to the application. But I'm beckoning a little bit upon what I've just laid out for you because I want to build a bridge to help you understand a personal application for practicing the learned process and knowing how to practice it in your own life. Have you ever taken time to pray through a time, a season, a moment, a decision in your own life to discern God's hand, how God's working in your heart. Have you ever wondered, is God working? Does he hear me? Does he see me? Does he care? How can I know that? Well, you've got to take the time to pray through it. And, and I think often that people don't take the time to do this really for one of two fears. They fear what they might learn about God And they fear that what they might learn about God might in some way disrupt what they already want to know about God and what they're controlling their relationship with God through. But secondly, I think some people fear what they might learn about themselves. There isn't anything that scares us like change, except for public speaking. I've learned public speaking is probably a greater fear than change for many. But it means you've got to change from not speaking in public to speaking in public. So it's really a form of change. And many of you are opposed to change. But the heart of the Christian faith is all about change. And so we need not fear this, but pursue the one who has changed. Think with me for a moment through one of the most difficult moments of your life. Just think about it in your own mind and heart. Maybe it was a time of heavy burden, severe pressure due to a situation or a circumstance. Maybe it was due to a a decision that you were trying to make. You didn't know which way to go. A relationship you found yourself in, you weren't sure how to address it. Uh, and, And maybe the burden of it was due to a mistake you made. Innocently enough, but clearly you know you made a mistake. Or maybe it was due to some wrongdoing or sinful action that you committed. You committed it willfully. You've acknowledged that. You know that. But, but nonetheless, it caused that. Or, or maybe, maybe, and these can be some of the most difficult ones. Maybe it was something that was done to you or a difficulty that was placed on you. Loss, 
grief, disappointment from someone, something of that nature. Think about this for a moment, and I want to offer you a few questions to help you discern the process of learned process. First of all, ask yourself, how do you respond? How did you react to the situation? What were your first questions? What were your first thoughts? What were your first feelings? When do you remember first turning to seek the Lord in the process? Was it immediately? Lord, here's what's in front of me. I don't know where this is headed. I don't know why it's here, but I want to put it in front of you. And immediately you began to seek the Lord in that process for what was taking place. Or was it your first prayer, oh God, help me. And that was the last time you thought about God for quite some time in regards to the process. Do you remember turning to him early or later? Did you do it on your own or did you have to be encouraged and reminded to seek the Lord? When you did turn to the Lord, what was your disposition towards him? Did you believe that what he had for you was for your best? Or did you approach him with suspicion and questions? Were there specific verses that helped you? People that said specific things to you that clarified your thinking or even your feeling that encouraged you in the midst of it? Did you seek the Lord in prayer? This is an important one. You seek the Lord in prayer or do you just talk to him in prayer? You know, there's a big difference there. When we cast our cares and make our requests known to God out of faithful obedience to him, when we lay our anxieties before him, that is all good, right, and necessary. But we ought to pause and be quiet and listen to him as well. Did you seek the Lord or just talk to him? What important people came near to you or did you go near in the process? Were there people involved that God used? Did you turn to the church or away from the church? Did those people point you to Christ or just try to salve it by like, oh, you know, time heals things. Or it'll be okay. Have you processed the situation? Have you recognized, confessed your own struggle to the Lord? And if you have, what did you learn about God? What did you learn about yourself? Finally, has the process drawn you closer to and filled you more with Jesus? Do you love him more because what you learned about him, because of what you learned about yourself, and because of the process of learning through all of that? Friends, here's what I want to say to you. Sometimes we'll go into the first parts of these, and, and we'll begin that. But if God doesn't speak quickly enough, we won't remain long enough. You ever been there? Sometimes we'll apply the lessons we've already learned because they're automatic applications. But if God doesn't come through with the lessons that we already know, sometimes we're not patient enough to wait and learn new lessons in the midst of a process. Sometimes the lessons that we know and we've learned, we apply, and the principles that we've brought to bear upon our life through the midst of that. But because we believe we know, and oftentimes we do know where God will lead or what he'll say in the midst of that, we'll check out before the end of it because, well, we'd rather short-circuit the process and subject ourselves to what God really wants to do so we can maintain some measure of control in our own life. You see, I, I think this is so important because today it has become more chic, 
more cool to deconstruct your faith than to construct it. We have people even in the Christian community who under the auspices of Christianity are doing more to help Christians tear their faith apart than put their life together. And because of the weight of life, people are fracturing, breaking apart individually, in their homes, their marriages, in their jobs, in their life. Why? Because they don't think they can stand up under what's being put on them. And you see, what I want you to understand, friends, is there's only one place that the learned process leads. Only one. To the divine pleasures of God. That's what verse 13 tells us. Do not lose sight on the joy set before you that is yours in Jesus Christ. Because it was the joy set before him that kept him faithful in all things. And that's where we're heading today. How do we get to that joy without holding suspicion against God, suspicion against the church, suspicion against God's people? It's only in one way, and that's the way that we see today in the most potent of all three distinctives of Christian maturity. Here's where everything culminates, friend, in verse 13. Go back with me. Let's look at it one more time. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The third distinctive of your maturity is this. Christians mature as God works to cultivate his divine pleasure within. Now before we study this, I want to teach a very important lesson about reading the scriptures. There are moments when you should stop all study and just let what you just read soak in. And this is a verse that you should never pass without doing that. Let it soak in because this is not a theory, friends. This is a glory. This is not just a truth to be learned and discerned. It is a truth to be permeated completely in our whole being. You need to pause for a moment and praise the glorious God of all for the truth of what this says to us. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 distinguishes Christianity against every other religious practice, religious ideology, religious principle, or religious philosophy in all the history of humanity. Every religion says, do this and you can get to God. Christianity says, God has done this and come to you. And because he came to you, he is with you. Your work that you're doing in verse 12 is not in isolation. It's not in desolation of God's absence, but it is in the midst of the reality of his presence. And that's what we learn in verse 13, such that we can pray, God, we thank you and we praise you that the very purpose for which our lives were brought into existence in this world is to be known and to know you. That's why you were created. 
That's what Genesis 2 is all about. He created all kinds of animals, some vile, some that creep along the ground and scare you to death if you ever come across them, and some that just threaten your life if you ever encounter them. But that's not why God created you, friends. That's not why God created you at all. God created you to have a relationship with him. He created you for a divine glory that cannot be done by any other creature or form of creation on this earth. And what he is telling us here is how it is he is working in our redemption to bring about his redemptive glory. Every inkling and deep longing is fully and perfectly satisfied in God and in God alone. And we can pray, God, make us the people that you will for us to be, that we might do the work that you have willed for us to do to bring about the glory that you and you alone are worthy of. And by Jesus Christ, by the power of his Holy Spirit within us, have your way in us and bring your glory through our lives. That's what this verse is all about, friends. When you move quickly past it, and, and the reality of it for your life, you actually stunt your growth and your maturity because God is wanting to stir up his glory within you to motivate a zeal for greater glory, to establish the strength of your faith, to follow him in all that he has called you to. If you skip verse 13, any advancement in your spiritual life is nothing more than earning. And that's never godliness. Never godliness. While maturity in the Christian's life always comes from strategic effort, that's verse 12, it never comes by the Christian's earning. That's verse 13. And that's what I want you to understand today. God is the one working in you to carry out his will by his command in you, Christian. Did you know that's why God commands if God did not make a command in Scripture, we couldn't do what he wants us to do. It is the very command of God that helps us to know who he is. It's the very command of God that know what he wills. It's the very command of God that empowers our own doing for him. And that's what he wants us to understand. It is the God who works in you that is the divine energy from above and the very nature of his presence and his being at work in you that is acting to cause and to carry out his purpose in you. God doesn't come and deliver the news and walk away like a herald. God is the good news and he brings it and he stays with it so it remains in you. That's what this verse 13 is about. It's continual. It's ongoing in the verb form. It is one that is an immediate, automatic, and everlasting reality in the life of the Christian. Christian, there is never a moment, not one fraction of a second when God is absent from your life. Now start thinking about the hard times of your life. Now start thinking about the heavy pressures of your life. Now start thinking about the times when you don't think you're going to be able to stand up. God is not absent. God is not absent. This is the key to understanding our maturity. It's the full measure and scope of God that is working to align our will and our work with his divine pleasure. Friends, I, I'm telling you, that everything that we know of God 
has been activated within us by faith because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and by the ongoing presence of his Holy Spirit within us. You think you're not going to get through Monday? (laughs) Monday's got nothing on God. And God doesn't want you just to survive Monday. He wants to be more glorified because of it. First, God works to transform our inner being. You need to understand how God works. He works to transform our inner being. That's what we're told. that If any man is in Christ, he is a what? He is a what? New creation. You are not the you you were before Jesus. But the you that you are is because of him. The active work of God begins within us in our desires, our motivations, our resolve, and our purpose. You see, God is not interested in adherence or performance for him. He changes us completely at the deepest part of our being by making us new within. That's what transformation is all about. And listen, this isn't something new to God. This has been his plan from the beginning. If you go back to the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 25 to 28 lays out God's covenant promise that he was working. He says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God the very promise of God in the covenant of salvation is his presence his presence within us we become the new temple where God inhabits and abides and so every outward action of our life begins within that's where God works because that's where he's made us new God is working that the whole of our being comes into alignment with himself. That's why he gave us the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your what? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Why did God give us this command? Because he's telling us who he is, what he wants to do in us, and how it is that we walk with him daily in this life. He's working for the integrity of our new creation to align the whole of our being, the center of our consciousness of being, uh, uh, the heart, the center of our being, that is our thought, our emotions, and our conscience in this life. He's working to align the inner being of our life, the psychological faculties and the soul of who we are, the center of our intellectual faculty, our mind and our understanding and our thought patterns, our reasoning and and our philosophizing and all of those. God's bringing all of those things into alignment with his perfect will. He created us to know him in this way. He has redeemed us completely for the same. And he is directing our whole being to him. You see, God is the one working in you to bring your whole self into alignment with his whole being. That's what truth is all about. So if God God begins his work in us, then should we wait until he's done to go and do? 
Well, I'm, I'm just going to wait on God. And then I'll go do whatever he tells me to do. No, friends, he works for our work. That's why verse 12 was given first. That's why verse 12 was given first, because he wants us to understand it's not about you just sit dormant until God gets finished. No, it's about as you live your life. That's why the Great Commission says, go. Did you know that is not the principal verb? Make disciples is the principal verb. But it's a prepositional phrase. As you go, make disciples. In other words, God is at work in you as you live your life daily. That's what he wants you to understand. God works to unite our whole outer being. He works so that our outward person aligns with our inner being. You say, well, what do you mean by outward person? I mean the actions and the attitudes and the exertions of your life. The whole of our being, the actions, the attitudes, and the exertions of our life. And some of you are like, wait a minute, attitudes are outward actions? Yes, they are. And let me prove this to you. For some of it, you, you have an attitude, but you have to overcome that to, to display the right action that you know you ought to have in the moment, right? You go, well, <laughs> but you say something totally, oh, you look so good today, mm. right? Now, some of you aren't blessed with that. You actually say it, and then you think it. I'm sorry, was that, was that too, too much? Yes, he's working to align the whole of our outer person with our inner being that he's transforming. And by conviction of the spirit, friends, we recognize how our sinful actions don't align with our new nature in Christ. And listen to me, friends. Some of you are going to think sinful actions are only the actions that we do that are opposed to God's will. But that's not true. Any action that you do aligned with God's will, but absent of faith in God for you is also a sinful action. Why? Because you're trying to accomplish God's work in you without God's presence through you. That's not the way it works. God is at work to will and to work according to his good pleasure. God works to bring both our will and our work into alignment with his good pleasure. It's what I call the intersection of transformation. It's when God is working in the midst of our working to bring our will and our work into alignment with his divine pleasure. You see, the change that occurs in life to make us more like Jesus is always, not sometimes, not particularly, or not potentially, but always because of God's supernatural work in you. There is no act of transformation that we initiate or complete on our own, but only that which is done by the work of God to will and to work in our life according to his good pleasure. You see, when I know my attitude has changed, when I recognize that I'm committing sinful acts less or that I desire sinful things less, I can know God is working in my heart because I couldn't remove that from my life on my own. God's purging that from me. And what God commands in the great commandment is what God is working to mature in every Christian. A transformation of your whole being into the new he has made us in Jesus Christ that exists fully in his perfect love and overflowing with his glorious joy. Right there it is, friends. Finally, God's work is what enables and empowers our obedience. 
So for us to say, I cannot obey or I do not want to obey, actually becomes a statement about what we believe about God. What we believe about Him wanting to do or He is even able to do more than it is about what we believe we can do. And the Bible tells us it is grace upon grace from God that becomes the energy and the motivation and the fuel to obey His commands. You need not fear not being able to do what you know God has told you to do. You need not fear not wanting to do what God has told you to do. You only need to submit, empty yourself, and surrender to His hand at work. You see, knowing what God is working in us We work out because we know it is his work that is taking place within. Now, when I said God is not satisfied with adherence to our activity because he's aiming for a whole life love, I I want you to understand how important this is and, and, and how critical it is because this is part of what you're going to discern in the learned process. You're going to see how God is purging you of lesser loves, of littler glories and replacing them with his glory and his love. Scottish Puritan theologian Thomas Chalmers elaborates on why it is that God works in this way in his book, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And this is what he writes. How impossible it were for the heart by any innate elasticity of its own to cast the world away from it and thus reduce itself to a wilderness. Let me tell you what he's saying there in 1800 Puritan terms. He's saying this, your heart is never going to shed the very thing that it treasures. No matter how little it is. Because if it is to shed it to emptiness or wilderness as he says, it fears it would never be replaced. So it would rather have a lesser love, a smaller glory than to have nothing at all. But listen to what he says. The heart is not so constituted. And the only way to dispossess it of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Friends, your problem is not that your heart is full of real love. The problem is you've satisfied for a smaller love without Christ. The problem is your life is so filled with lesser glory that you've yet to even consider the greater glory of God. But when you trust in God and you let his power be at work in you, he fills you to overflowing such that he purges you of the lesser loves and lesser glories. That's why it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that the Christian life is one that is compelled and controlled by love from God. Because he's purging our life of lesser glory and lesser loves, uh, uh, pseudo-loves and pseudo-glories. And every day as we go about our lives, we encounter the world's temptations. We encounter Satan's attacks. We encounter those ever small, subtle inklings of sin that remains in us. And we are tempted to fill our lives. We're not only tempted, we're immersed in the practice of filling our lives with these lesser loves. And if we don't submit them to God, if we don't open our lives and surrender ourselves to what he wants to do in us, we'll just be satisfied, not with something that really satisfies us, not with something that's really good for us, because so often we know it's in fact not good, but we're not going to get rid of it on our own because we're afraid we might just put our heart in the wilderness. But God says, no, I have something far greater 
and he fills us. And when we experience it, however he reveals his glory in any very, very manifestation of wisdom, of power, of might, of beauty, God is wooing our will with his overwhelming glory. So you want to be loved? I got a love you can't imagine. You want to you see glory? I've got a glory you've yet to even conceive. But you've got to believe and surrender. You see, God works in you to align both your inner being and your outward actions with his divine pleasure. Listen to me, friends. When God is working in you to mature you, to grow you, there's never a moment he stops short of his divine pleasures being fully carried into your life. That's why Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, what does he say? And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. You will not know a lesser glory than God himself. You will not experience a lesser love than the divine love of God himself. Why? Because it's his own promise. You know, we often say in response to God's word, but God, I can't do that. God says, it's okay. I'm going to do it in you. I'm going to do it through you if you'll trust me. Sometimes we say, but God, I don't want to do that. God says, if you'll look to me, I have a greater glory for you. The reason you don't want my will for you is because you're consumed with lesser things. And it's only going to deceive you and to destroy you if you let it remain. God wants us to get our eyes off of all the lesser glory and the smaller loves of the world that sin consumes us with. And he wants to fill us with his glory and with his perfect love in our life. You, you may ask me, Pastor, how, how do you know this is true? How, how do you know God will do this? Well, here's what I would tell you. I never wanted to preach and I never wanted to be a pastor. I grew up in a pastor's home. I know all too well the rhythms of living in a pastor's home. I, I, I've seen uh, the pressures. I've seen the weight of pastoral ministry on my dad, on my mom, on our home, and on our family. I never wanted it. And my mom would tell me, you're going to be a preacher one day. You're going to be a preacher one day. I can still hear her voice. She still says it to me. I said, Mom, I am a preacher. <laughs> I know. I told you, you're going to be a preacher one day. But when God called me, He didn't just change the occupation line. He changed the very heart of what I wanted. And since he called me to himself at the age of 16, to pastoral ministry at the age of 19, I've wanted nothing but. And I will live all of my days by God's grace, Growing in my desire to do better, to be better, because of his work in me. Now some of you, you find that hard to believe because you've only ever known me as a guy that stands here and talks during the service. But I can produce dozens of witnesses that would not only say otherwise, that would, were literally shocked. We had to do some therapy and treatment when they actually found out I had gone into pastoral ministry. Lane didn't change Lane. 
and you will never change you. But God will not fail to. That's what he wants for you. Let's pray.